If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5, you would please. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to continue a little bit of a theme through the book of Matthew, or Matthew 5, 6, and 7, on the Sermon on the Mount, talking about practical Christianity. I was planning to do, I have even the worksheets for uh, 1 Timothy chapter number, um, or first, the book of 1 Timothy, but I felt like I, can, I need to make some little bit of time up here in order to um, get through the Sermon on the Mount and the, and the few uh, messages I have to do. Next Wednesday night, Brother Elmer Fernandez, Lord willing, will be with us, and I'm looking forward to having him on our Wednesday night service. Of course, Brother Fernandez, very uh, instrumental in this uh, ministry and really spawning off ministries around the world for Spanish-speaking people through the fires of evangelism. I'm excited about having him to be with us and speaking in English next week. But uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And we have studied two things so far, the characteristics of, um, of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the group of people that he's speaking to, the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, uh, blessed are they the hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled, those who are persecuted. He gave us a whole list of folks that uh, he is addressing it to, and he's given them the attributes, the characteristics of practical Christianity. And then he's telling them the influence. They're supposed to be salt and light. And we learned that a little bit on Sunday night. I will, I will say this, that as the more I'm studying this, this sermon on the Mount, I would say this, you don't, uh, it's not necessarily um, a new law that God gave his people. And there are some factors that, uh, that I think that can be taken to the extreme that would be negative in regards to that. If something you're doing, uh, it's not just a, a new code of ethics. I think we have to see that the Lord Jesus is speaking primarily to the hypocrisy and the long, 400 years had gone by without one uh, little ink speaking about the, the inspired word of God. There had been 400 years of silence. And during that time, not everybody had a Bible. And so there was a lot of tradition, a lot of things being said and being taught. And Jesus confronts it. And of course, who were his arch enemies while he was ministering in, uh, in the Israel during his three and a half years? Who continued to give be a thorn in his side? What are their names? <laughs> yeah, the scribes and the Pharisees. And they continually battled with him. Because they had built up a religious, legalistic society. And they felt like if you did these things, then you were spiritual. And of course, they put themselves on that pedestal. And if you're not careful, sometimes we can do that. Uh, rules that you keep, I like. I think we ought to have things that, that motivate us and help us. But I think one of the things we see here in this next part is illustrations of the law and matters of the heart. Jesus is going to real quickly, they're going to give rules, and he's going to say, but I'm talking about the heart. And you know about this. He's going to say, you know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you that if you say reka, raka to your brother, like call him an airhead, <laughs> you know, you're, you're worthless. He said, you're in judgment of the council. If you say thou fool, you can be in danger of hell fire. So he's kind of dealing with some things. He's going a lot deeper than they're going. They feel like if they kept this rule, they're spiritual. And he digs deeper and he, push, he pushes on heart matters that remind us. And I think we see here there's six illustrations that he'll give in the remainder of chapter 5. Let's just look at it quickly. And I, don't, I will not do justice to it. 
However, I think it's important that we understand uh, what Jesus says. So he, he gives us, once again, those characteristics, those beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, mourn, meekness, hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who are merciful, pure in heart, uh, those who are peacemakers, so forth and so on. And then he says, you're to influence a society as a practical Christian, uh, and as salt does to, uh, to its, its recipient, making contact, purifying, so forth, and as light, as a city set on a hill cannot be hid, you're the light of the world now, go out and do good works, and you can draw people to the light of Jesus. Then we see in verse number 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to what? So he said, I'm not coming and he's going to give some preparatory statements here. And once again, Jesus has, is speaking to primarily his disciples. He's on a hillside. He goes up a little higher, and he speaks primarily to, to fellowship to those who are followers of him. But uh, he is going to counteract the, 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 the traditions of men and the pharisaical uh, liturgy and the teaching that's been done. Let's look at this again. He says, I'm going to tell you, don't think I'm come to destroy the law. I'm come to fulfill it. Verse number 18, read it with me. For verily I say unto you, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. That would be like saying every, every I will be dotted, every, uh, every T will be crossed. Even the littlest of punctuation marks, whatever God says is going to happen, it's going to happen. Verse number 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of the commandments shall te and teach men to sow, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He says, so you get somebody who does not keep the commandments and doesn't teach others to do it, they're least. You find someone who does seek to fulfill the commandments and teaches others to do that. He said, they'll be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now let's look at verse number 20 and let's read it together. You ready? For I say unto you that except your righteousness, Okay, so here he says, he said, and you've got to figure this out. So I didn't come to destroy the law, but fulfill it. But really, no matter how good you are, unless your righteousness would exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And basically, it's a list of rules that they have divided and said, okay, I'm spiritual because I do this. He said, unless you have a better righteousness than that, you'll know why he's in heaven. And by the way, that righteousness is in the person of Jesus. I love uh, Romans chapter 10. And I'm, I pray today that God will give me a chance to win someone to Christ over the next few days. And I love showing people who are not saved that particular verse in Romans chapter 10. And verse number 10, for with the heart man believeth unto, and with the mouth confession is made in salvation. Who's the righteousness they need? Jesus. And of course, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Who made Christ real to us? The Holy Spirit. Who made sin real to us? The Holy Spirit. Who made the judgment to come? Hell real to us and, and accountability. That's the Holy Spirit. He has to be there. And may I say to you, in a world that um, needs the gospel, when you share the gospel, I think it's very important. And of course, Jesus is going to go to the heart of the law. And I don't know, uh, you've heard me talk about soul winning before, but I believe it's important that soul winners understand those Ten Commandments to some extent. 
Now, Jesus does not go through all Ten Commandments here. He will do that. He said all the, the Old Testament is found in the commandments are in loving the Lord thy God, which is the first four commandments, and loving your neighbors yourself, which is verse, which number five all the way to verse number ten, talking about our brother and sister. But I do believe the law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? Yeah, and the, the law is given to us to challenge us on several things. And come, some of those things is, first of, first of all, the seriousness of sin. We need to see that sin is not, like when someone says, and you're witnessing them, and they always say, well, yeah, all of us are sins. Yeah, we're all, yeah, we all have problems. Okay, in my opinion, when I hear that, I'm going to say, okay, let's talk about your problem. <laughs> I mean, I want to be that, that thing, but let's talk about what sin is. I think one of the things that the, that the law does, it shows us the holiness of God. It shows us the seriousness of sin. It shows us the demands of the law and the punishment that's going to be meted out. And then, of course, it goes to eternal consequences without forgiveness. I think it's important that we never should soft-soap the gospel. It's not just like, oh, you can just have a great life with a capital L. <laughs> okay? Obviously, salvation does give you life and, and life more abundantly. But that's not, the, that's not the way. And we do that. If we do that, we're going to find ourselves, I think, in having converts that are not necessarily God's. They're ours. And we'll wonder why they don't grow. We'll wonder why they don't come back. And oftentimes because they do not see the sin as sinful. And I don't want to bring someone through and just say, oh, you've got to repent and all this sort of stuff. I do think repentance is a part of salvation. You've got to change your mind about who you are and who God is, and you have to accept Him. But I don't think you can bring repentance to someone. But I do think it's important that we be thorough. And I think Jesus was certainly that way, and I think we see it here in the Sermon on the Mount. So anyway, he says, to, he says look, you're going to have to have more than the law can produce. You're going to have to have more than the Pharisees and the scribes. You're going to have to have Jesus. And I think that is a part of it what he's talking about. But he is going to give six illustrations. Six illustrations, uh, and they're not, once again, they're not exhaustive. I don't think God intended them to be each of the, each of the, 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 the Ten Commandments. He just gives six illustrations, and he's dealing with primary teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes and what they say that they've, they've heard said. Now, I want you to look, if you would please, at verse number 21, and I want you to read that first line with me. You ready? Just the first line and maybe two words on my Bible. Let's read it. Ye have heard that it was... Okay, I want you to look at verse 27. We look at verse 27, and let's look at that first line and a half already. Ye have heard that it was, now look at verse number 31, would you please? This is the third of these statements. It hath been, verse number 33, again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. Verse 38, ye have heard that it hath been Verse number 43, are you ready? Ye have heard that it hath been. So six times in this Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus referenced what hath been said. Now, each of the times is not an exact quote of the law. Some of the things that have been said are not even in the Old Testament verbatim. So we find here that he is contradicting and he's talking about the motives of the heart and the spirit of the law, not just the law. And he, he has, once again, this is 400 years since Malachi has closed his, and, and, and his ink is, is off the page. 
So it's 400 years, and now we have the Pharisees who, and, the, and the religious organizations that are just continuing to, to create the traditions of men. And they're passing it on. Not everybody had Bibles in that day. And it also, at this time, they, of course, uh, they, were reading, they, were, they were speaking in Aramaic and Greek. And many of the folks did not read Hebrew. It's kind of like in the Reformation where people were preaching in Latin. And they were just telling them what the Bible says, but they had no clue. They didn't read Latin. So basically, a lot of these teachings were done. The people say, don't have to read, your, read. We'll read for you and tell you what to do. And we live it out. We're the Pharisees. We're the people who, have the, who are really spiritual people. And so, they, so Jesus strategically begins to attack each of these things. And I think there are areas that are very important for us. Let's look at the first one. Go back, if we please, to verse number 21. He has heard that it, hath, that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. So if someone takes someone's life, this is capital punishment, then, then if someone kills, they can be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, um, shall be in danger of the council, or you're worthless, or you're an airhead, you're empty. Raka, thou or, or, say into, or shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Verse 23, therefore I bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave, it, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, and first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verse 26, read it with me, would you please? Verily I say unto thee, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. This first section and this first illustration, I think, deals with, with relationships. He says, okay, you've heard it said, if you kill someone, you're going to be judged by being killed. You've heard that. So people say, well, if I didn't kill anybody, that's fine. So let me, let me tell you something. God elevates that and says, look, if you're angry with your brother or your sister, if you think them to be worthless, and you even say you're worthless, you're an airhead, you're, you're, you're nothing, you're, you're not important, or you call them a fool, or you go to give a sacrifice of, 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 of service to the Lord. You're trying to work on that bus route or teach that Sunday school class or even write that check and put in the envelope or go on online and, and you want to give something very generous. And then you remember you got a problem with a brother or sister. He said, go agree with your brother and sister and, and, and submit yourself to that and get that thing right. And of course, that Old Testament passage of Scripture, to obey is better than what? Saul had to learn that. And I think here, he's, Jesus is using this illustration to say, look, your relationships, it's not just about killing someone. It's about being right with God and right with others. And more sometimes in churches like ours, that we're trying to walk the high road of holiness and sometimes we have all these little things we're so proud of that we have this, but then we have animosity and sin and anger, and we think we're better than someone else, or that person's worthless, and we're always extremely critical. And I think God says, hey, listen, I see that, and that bothers me. 
So don't be a Pharisee. Don't just say, well, I didn't kill anybody, so I'm good, right? No, he says, no, you're not good. He said, if you even go around and with anger and with, uh, with uh, a sup- uh, uh, an attitude of superiority, and uh, you know there's a problem, and you say, well, hey, but I'm, I tell you what, I've given lots of missions last year. But you've got a critical attitude towards someone, and you remember, and God puts that to your remembrance. Once you leave your gift right there, and let's deal with the relationship issue. We find that in the book of James, where, G- where James, the hard-hitting pastor of Jerusalem, challenges people. In regards to this, he said, even when it comes to pray, he said, first of all, the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. He said, if you've committed sins, it should be forgiven you. He said, confess your faults one to another. You're you're breaking an earthly relationship. And pray one to another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, someone who's right with God and right with others. The first illustration is one of relationship. The next one is one of morality. Look, if you would please, at the next passage of Scripture, verse number 27. Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said, By them of old time thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. And if thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable... For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thine whole body should be cast into hell. So pretty strong language there. But he says, okay, you've heard them say of old time, okay, you can't commit adultery. And they're thinking about the actual act of of, of immorality. And oftentimes they say, hey, listen, I didn't kill anybody, but you got issues of, of relational problems, anger and those things. Hey, someone says, hey, I didn't, I didn't commit adultery. I've never done that. Hey, that's something I've never done right there. He said, but you got problems between your ears. You got problems with you, what you see. And you, you look and then you, you, you lust and you've committed that in your own heart. God said, I, I see something a little deeper than you see. But they said, no, no, we're, we're good because we have kept this rule. He said, but God sees all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. The morality, he deals with morality. In the first, first illustration, he deals with relationship. The second one, morality. By the way, he said, it's so serious. Immorality is so serious. He said, you've got to get serious with it. And of course, your right eye, your left eye, uh, there are some, there's some teachings about that that would take us, I don't think I could ever get to the bottom of it, but it would take me a lot longer to figure out. But it, it, in, in the Jewish mindset, the Eastern mindset, that was the most valuable. You know, your right, your right hand. He says the Father's right hand. It's right hand, right eye. He says, rather to go without something very valuable in this lifetime to stay pure morally than to continue down that, you know, when the Bible talks about immorality in, in the book of Proverbs, he said, can a man take what into his bosom? Fire. Nothing quite sets you on fire uh, and, and causes destruction in a life like immorality. And Jesus is saying here, look, whatever you have to do, if your iPad's offending you, get rid of it. Well, I need that for work. I need that. But do you need to be pure? Purity is really powerful. 
And I think he's talking about relationships and he's talking about morality. Let's look at the next one real quickly if we can. And you see that he talks about marriage. Verse number 31. Are you ready? Let's look at it. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. He said, if you, if, you, if, you, if you divorce your wife, make sure she has a writing. Make sure you give her a writing of divorcement so that you can kind of take care of her so she has options afterwards. And this is a big thing. I, I, I don't even feel like I have good, good uh, uh, time to explain this. But you can look at it in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And they were all hung up on the fact if you're going to divorce, and they could divorce their wife or anything. You can see this in conjunction with Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses 3 through 9. Jesus teaches on this particular topic. But here he deals with marriage. He said, look, because at this time, the Pharisees, it had been said, it had been said, it had been head of old time. They had carried on to the place that they could divorce their wife if she just looked at them wrong. Or she made a bad meal. Or didn't like the way she disciplined the kids. They could send her a writing of divorcement as long as you had the writing. And you could give it to her so she could remarry again or at least not be desolate. And you wouldn't have to worry about her. They were so concerned about the, the writing of divorcement, not necessarily the magnification of marriage and commitment. But look at the next verse. He says here, the Bible tells us, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, save Saving for the cause of fornication causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced shall commit uh, adultery. And of course, the, these are some things that you, you will see in conjunction. But I will say this, uh, as we see this, I think that God exalts marriage in a very high way. He said the only time a marriage, a divorce would be, would be appropriate is not unreconcilable differences. It would be because of fornication. But it's not God's first choice. It's his permissive choice. It's not his command. You know, one of the things that, uh, that, the, that the, uh, the tricky, ricky lawyer in Matthew chapter 19 that said to Jesus, he said, Moses commanded that you give her a, a right of divorcement. But it wasn't God's, Moses didn't command them to be divorced. But they're like, oh yeah, we got to do it, you know. If we don't, we don't like, we, we commanded. So they're all hung up upon the divorce paperwork. The, right, the writ of divorcement, and not exalting marriage. So he's really digging. You can see if, you could, if we can evaluate what they, have been, what they were trying to say, hey, we don't kill anybody. We, did, we, weren't, we haven't been caught in the act. Okay, we've divorced, but we've given that writ, that writ of divorcement. Every time he's going so farther deeper into their, into their sin, he's dealing not with the, the law, but the spirit of the law. Not just doing what, it, what the rule is, but the heart of the, of the sinner and the heart of, of God's people. Let's look at the next one real quickly. Now, I need to go ahead and close quickly, but look at the next one. Verse number 33. And ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven nor as it is by God's throne, nor by the earth, nor by the, uh, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Would you read verse 37 with me, everyone? But let your communication be 
Nay, nay. Here he's dealing with flat out lying and honesty. He said, look, I don't, it isn't, it's not wrong to make an oath. The, you know, years ago, the Puritans and some of the Quakers refused to make any kind of an oath. But it's not necessarily that. Even God makes an oath. You can read it in Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 16. He made an oath, that a covenant he makes. So it's not wrong to make a covenant. But he said, look, you don't need to go around saying, you know, you remember your kids, I swear, I swear, I swear. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on this. He said, first of all, don't swear in God's name. And don't swear on anything that he created. He said, don't swear on a city or on an, on an animal or uh, anything else. He said, you don't have to do that. But the truth of the matter is what you need to do is tell the truth. You know, when someone says, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. What do you mean? What last time? You didn't, I couldn't trust you. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Does that mean you lied the other times? Some people get so, they get so emphatic, I swear, I swear, ah, and they, they say all this stuff. And the reason they do that is because they're aligned. <laughs> the other times, you don't know if you can trust them. I'm telling you the truth this time, you know, that, that kind of guy. I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth. Okay, so what happened last week? They said, listen, he said, I want to deal with your relationships. I want, I want to deal with your morality. I want to deal with your marriages. I'm going to deal with your, with your honesty. Being truthful. Let your yea be, let your nay be, nay. He's just said, I'm going to do that. I, I, I'm going to close tonight's Bible study, but I want you to notice the next two. And the next one is, of course, um, let's look at the, let me look at verse 38. And you have heard them said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That, had, that basically deals with equality. So he's trying to, is trying, they said, they said, well, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but really it's to keep people in check. It's not like if you knock my tooth out, knock your tooth out. It's like if you knock my tooth out, that I'm not allowed to knock all your teeth out. Okay? If, if, you, steal, if you steal something from me, I'm not, I'm not, not required to. It, it is, it's trying to keep equality, and it's primarily given in judgment. But the reason God gave it, it was so that they would not overcompensate. If someone did something small, they would get killed big. He said, look, you, you just you keep, you keep the judgment in check as for judges. However, he does give some kind of a sweet things that are not always, uh, you know, sometimes if someone has a problem, they'll go to this past scripture and say, well, if, you, if someone asks you uh, something, you have to give it to them. If someone smites you on the right side, you have to, you have to, uh, you have to let them turn and smite you on the left side. And they'll use some of these things as, as equal things. And it's not probably, it's not wise, nor is it accurate to interpret it that. But I do think it does teach us that practical Christianity will give a little bit more. It will love a little bit more. It will be more generous, more Christ-like in its response. And I think we see equality and grace extended there. Look at, the, look at verse number 30, or look at verse number um, 41. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him. Twain, go a little farther. If uh, someone smites in the right hand, take a little bit more. Another one, give him that asks of thee, and from him that would borrow from thee, uh, turn not away. So he said, you, you can't give to every single person to ask you, but he said, we can learn to give a little extra. We can learn to love a little bit more. And uh, that's what it is. And the last one has to do with love. 
And uh, he says, you've heard it been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Well, I'm telling you, love your enemies too. And he takes it to a different level. And then I want you to read verse 48 with me, would you please? Verse 48, are you ready? Be ye therefore, even as you're... And what does the word perfect mean? Mature. So these are attributes of the mature Christian, not the rule keeper. Not just saying, well, I didn't do this, I didn't do this and this, but where are you in your heart? And we'll see this all through this past scripture. Jesus keeps drilling down deeper than the rules, deeper than the standards, deeper than this thing. I don't do this. I don't do this. Where are you in here? And he deals with it in those six ways, dealing, first of all, with our relationships, second of all, with our morality, our marriages, our honesty, um, and our equality and our grace, and then lastly, with our love.